I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. Welcome to my podcast uh, on composting organics and uh, uh, potting mixes. I've just visited Rocky Point Mulching and walking around what is arguably one of Queensland's finest composting and commercial reprocessing operations for organics. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking with Mark Rain, a production manager, a horticulturalist who leads uh, the production of this marvellous facility and uh, the headaches in producing more than three million bags of potting mix per annum uh, and associated that go with it. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Rick. Mark, before we start, um, a horticulturist, what does that mean? Uh, well, basically, you know, probably oh, 35 odd years ago, is uh, my family owned a nursery, GCI Nurseries. And so I grew up there learning all aspects of the nursery business. We used to create a lot of growing media for uh, different varieties. So, depending on as most home growers would know, whether you're growing cactuses or you're growing indoor plants or uh, palms, uh, Australian natives, they all require different growing media for optimum results. So, so we used to do a lot of different growing media. And then from there, um, obviously the process of the, the different media is uh, some of it needs composting like the barks. Uh, but basically dealing with the horticulture is, and through the nursery that we owned was uh, every aspect. So that's from dealing with funguses, pests, um, fertiliser okay. systems, that sort of thing. So starting at the beginning, um, we all have been to Bunnings and we've been into our friendly nursery and we have a look at all these different potting mixes and it's quite confusing quite often what we do. We'll get into that down the track. But I guess from starting it, Simplistically put, what is the composting process? And uh, when we are talking about organics, etc., cetera, um, why do we have composting? Um, well, to start with, you know, we're manufacturing soils, we're manufacturing potting mixes and we're manufacturing soil improvers. So they're different Australian standards for different reasons is they're combined of different products. So basically the compost to start with that, which we use in soil improvers. So that's not just going into bags, it's also going to farms. But the process is is using green organics and um, also food organics. But what we're looking at is, and, you know, this has been happening for thousands of years, is that it's putting organics back into the soils. So to start with, you can say you have brown and green. So brown organics is... Uh, basically your more carbon orientated products, which is your twigs, your sticks, uh, green organics, for example, is grass clippings and food. So the combination, um, putting them together, finding the right balance will uh, give you the perfect compost. 
So most home gardeners who have a compost bin have sort of experimented with it. What we do is just on a major scale, but basically we're looking at the same process. So if we start at the very beginning of the of the process of facility like this, where we have a lot of green waste and uh, material, let's start at the very beginning. A lot of that comes in from uh, the, the green top bin that is in the household, gets put out at the curb. Uh, the driver comes along and picks that bin up and he takes it to what we commonly now know as the waste transfer station. That's where both the opportunity but the problem starts, isn't it? Because it's all about the quality input that we actually have to have and you can ex- we'll explain about that down the track. But it really is about if, we, if we've got to have quality input up front with, to produce commercial scale uh, material, don't we? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I've had the conversation before with uh, people is that uh, if you're a home gardener and you have your home compost bin, you know, what do you put in it? You'll put your food scraps in it. You'll put your lawn clippings in it. You'll put your leaves, your sticks in it. And um, But one thing you don't put in it is you don't put plastic in it. You don't put glass in it. And this is the problem is that what we find is that with the composting industry is we rely heavily on councils for green waste uh, or green organics. I don't like to call it waste because it's a valuable resource. But what we find is that not everybody is doing the right thing. Uh, For us, we spend a fortune on trying to get out glass, plastics from, from green waste. And that's, it originates from home. Um, And it's not just for uh, compost, it's for all recycling is that, you know, in Europe we've seen where some countries have got 87% or better recycling rates. So no matter what it is, if you have it separated, you can recycle it. But... And as you say, if you if what it happens when you're actually because I noticed that shredding operation out there, and you're what you're doing is you're chomping it up. So you've got you've got to size reduce these big lumps of palm fronds and the, and the timber that the people put out at the tree cuttings and stuff. So if we put contaminant, if the wrong materials at the front, that goes right through the process and then when it gets to a facility like this, we've got to expend energy and time and effort to try and clean that up because nobody wants contamination in their in their materials, do they? No, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, an expensive process mm. and uh, it's virtually impossible to get all of it. Mm. And uh, that's what we find is even in the Australian standards, there's actually allowances for plastics, there's allowances for glass. So even in the Australian standards, is they've realised that contamination is so high that it's actually impossible to have a contaminant-free end product. Wow, that's difficult, isn't it? So the, the takeaway message for listeners is don't put your plastics and other materials in with your green waste when you're actually putting it in your bin. Yeah. Well, we've got the... We've got uh, the material has been picked up from the transfer station and what happens at that point once it's uh, come from the or from a commercial tree lopper and people like that have brought this material in here? What actually happens in a commercial operation? Yeah, well, depending on um, the council or uh, transfer station that you're dealing with is some will grind on site at council or some will have it removed whole. So if it's ground up on site... Um, that'll come in here already to a pre-arranged size. Uh, if not, if you're dealing with um, cancels that don't do that, well, then you've got to grind it on site. Uh, that does give you, there are certain advantages, disadvantages, but basically 
if the councils are grinding at their location is that they can pull the rubbish out of it there and keep it where it should go into landfill, whereas if it comes here whole is that uh, we end up with uh, a lot of that rubbish here on site and, you know, we've found things like, you know, mattresses, bicycles, um, the amount of balls, <laughs> the amount of balls that we've uh, had from the uh, yeah from uh, people's backyards, footballs, tennis balls, golf balls, you name it. So wow, wow, yeah. you've got the material here. So it's starting at the very beginning um, when we actually bring the material onto the floor. You've done the inspection. It's size reduced at that point. How do we make a potting mix? Well, basically, as I said, there's potting mix, um, there is compost, and then there is soils. But uh, for the compost, the soil improvers, basically it's uh, a minimum of a 12-week procedure. So first of all, the uh, green organics are ground to size. And for us is that, you know, we're obviously um, cane farmers as well. So we use, as they are part of our green organics, we're using cane dust and trash as well in that, which is a very clean product and also very beneficial to our, to our compost. So we grind up the green organics, we add our cane to it. Which is the brown? Which is, sorry, the, the cane's the green. Yeah, so, green, sorry. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so then... Once we do that is uh, we actually put it into windrows, which are long lines of uh, compost about um, one and a half metres high by one and a half metres wide. And then we start putting water into it. So we have water on site. We have four dams here. And basically we recycle a lot of our water as well. It's all caught, captured on site. We put that back through. But basically we're trying to get that immediately, get the compost to have a moisture content of about, moisture air ratio of about 60, 40, 50, 50. And then that starts to pasteurise the compost. And pasteurise is basically uh, uh, sterilise or not sterilise, but knock out the weeds and the pathogens and things like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So basically we need to get that up over 55 degrees Celsius. Oh, really? Um, We are getting higher higher temperatures and uh, obviously for biosecurity measures, we actually, we're getting it up over 67.5 degrees Celsius. She is. So basically what you're doing with the composting process is you are, you're maturing it, but you're killing off any bacteria, which could be uh, salmonella, um, E. coli, those sort of bugs. So you're killing off the bad bacteria. And you're also, if there's any seeds in there, you're killing off any weed seeds. So we do that process for a minimum of 12 weeks. Normally it'll go for about 16 weeks and every week we're testing our compost windrows, our temperature, PHEC, moisture. We're monitoring where they're at and once they're ready, then that's when they'll, they'll come off and we'll hold them for another month at least. And So you hold them at that temperature range or you'll, well, that'll, you'll slowly, it'll yeah, slowly well, come yeah. down? Well, they do. They start off, they go through after about two, three weeks, they've gained their their top temperature. The quicker you can get the moisture into them, the quicker they'll reach their temperature. Uh, We do have um, a machine which is called a windrow turner, which basically sits above the top of it, inverts it, turns it inside out and pumps water at the same time so we can get the moisture levels up very quickly. Once we do that, then they, um, they start to heat up and by the second week, they're up over the 65 degrees Celsius mark. Not quite cooking your breakfast on, but it's still pretty warm. It is It is warm, yes. Well, the 
bark that we do for the um, potting mixes with a completely different product, but but that'll get into the mid seventy degrees Celsius mark. We've got the potting mix there, and uh, one of the no- one of the interesting things I noticed with uh, with this facility, you've got various sec- sections of the plant where you've got potting mixes. One area, you've got your barks and your soils. So uh, it's it's very much about a science, is it? And you're constantly recycling here on plant. So where you've where you filled your potting mixes up, and you've got the oversize left in that, you would then put that into the timbers and the barks, and just keep moving material around. Um, yeah, look, we we separate everything. The whole thing for us is. Um you know, having everything as contaminant-free, as segregated as possible. On this site, uh, we are a biosecure HACCP site. Uh, we're also, as far as this, um, Australian standards go and accreditation programs go, we're ACO, we're Certified Organic, we're also NIASA, so that's through NGI, the Nursery Association. We're also EcoHort. And then we have our ISO standards, which are 9001, 14001, 45001, which is safety. Uh, but basically everything here is done from any the time anything comes through that front gate to when it leaves here, it's gone through a procedure where it's accounted for um, right through the whole process to when it leaves. Which is so important to be buying and, and producing quality product because the potting mixes ain't potting mixes in many respects, are they? There's a lot of different variety and there's a lot of different types. But, okay, we've got the, um, the we've got the potting mix. We're ready to uh, package it. Uh, and there's some pretty fancy bagging plants around here as well. Once we've what what happens at that point? With what sort of moisture would be in that uh, pot in that material um, when you put it into those bags? Well, basically, it's um, be over forty percent. There are Australian standards, and it's got to be over forty. So normally, it's it's up near the fifty percent. And look, we try to get that uh, potting mix uh, ready once it's bagged for the customer. And I would say to customers as well is that once you buy your potting mix is you're dealing with an organic matter and it's we spend a lot of time putting the moisture into it. So don't buy a bag and leave it sitting in your garage for 12 months because you'll lose uh, all the structure, you'll lose all the moisture out of it. So you, the sooner you can pot up, then the better you are. You've also got control release fertilisers in there in the case of potting mixes. That could be a you know, an eight to nine month, 12 to 14 months. Because the product is organic and it does have the moisture in there, the fertilisers start releasing immediately. So buy your plants, get your potting mix, and um, the sooner you pot up, uh, the better. Because you were saying with the commercial mixes that you actually take, the, the nurseries are ready to pot as soon as that truck discharges onto the ground, they're actually into it and potting and using exactly it Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Because it's at its ultimate it is, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, Rocky Point, I noticed uh, a lot of different products. What's the difference between a lot of the, When you walk into Bunnings and you see all these different, you'll see a, a something for succulents, you'll see something for bonsai, or you'll see something for orchids. I get confused. I, I get very confused, so that's why I rely on uh, try and look at what's actually happening and try and understand. In lay terms, what are the different types and why are they different? Well, basically... Uh, the, the bulk ingredients in a potting mix is you're, you're creating a home for your plant. So if you have a, um, like say, let's say ferns, which like the, uh, they have a fine root system, they like the moisture. So you'll have less air space in the mix and it'll hold more moisture. A cactus, which 
doesn't like as much water. It's a more open, free draining mix. Orchids, which are epiphytes, um, they get most of their nutrients through the root system, through the air. They do not like moisture around their base. They, you know, they can rot if they're too wet. So that's a very open, free draining mix. So, so for those people who's when you are select your plants is if you're buying cactus, you're buying orchids, is you do want to be looking at the, the right kind of home for your plants. And the, the thing is too is that there's a, a lot of premium and it is very confusing for customers. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different brands out there. There's a lot of premium potting mix, what people call premium potting mix, and there are different standards. So you'll see red ticks on the bag, which is a premium standard, and there is black ticks on the bag, which is just um, a standard. And then there is non-Australian standard products. If you see a non-Australian standard product, that means it hasn't met, there's no guidelines. So has it been composted? It's a lucky dip, isn't it? You, well, it is. Yeah. And uh, look, you know, I always say to people, I go to Bunnings and I watch people and plants are expensive. Yes. So they'll go to Bunnings and I watch them load up their trolley and I think, well, there's $200, $300 worth of plants sitting on that trolley. And then as they're going out the door, it's like, oh, I need some potting mix. And there's a massive range of potting mixes yeah. from $2 to $15, $20. Yeah. Go, oh, I've got two, $300 here. Potting mix is just potting mix. I buy the $2 bag. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what you have to realise is, is that um, that plant that you've bought, we're supplying the nurseries with potting mixes that um, to the nurseries who are supplying the likes of, you know, the big, the big chains. Now, the, their potting mix, they're spending a fortune, more than what the home gardener is. Like Rocky Point does have uh, nursery quality mixes in, in bags, our premium potting mix, mm-hmm. our Coco Pro Art nursery quality mixes. The Coco the, Pro is, yeah. Yes, that's right. And uh, so the nursery will plant the plant up and send it to Bunnings. Now that plant in that pot is at its optimum. It is the perfect size for that pot. It's used all the fertilisers in the mix. You know, the grower's not going to go, oh, we'll top, top it up with fertilisers for, for the customer because <laughs> that the fertiliser is that expensive. So that plant, when you buy it, is at its optimum. And to give you an example, that plant, the nursery could have spent $120 a cubic metre on that mix. Now, you take that plant and you go and put that plant into a bag of potting mix that you spent $2 on, it's going to go backwards at a great rate of knots, is it? Because exactly the nutrients right. aren't there. Well, that's that's exactly right. So you're taking it from the penthouse, and excuse my language, you're putting it to the shit house. <laughs> <laughs> so what what hope does does that plant have? You know, and, and that's why, like, I go into Bunnings, and it's a roundabout. Yeah, people go and professional. If I supply a professional grower a potting mix, which if there's anything wrong with it all, they're straight on the phone to me going, you know, which we don't have with all our procedures and accreditation programs. But they'll send it back. Or the, if the oh, they'll, they'll be straight back. on the phone, exactly right. Whereas the home gardener... The plant go, will fall over and he'll take a Bunnings and blame the well, plant rather than the material. Well, like the actual home gardener blames themselves. Mm. How many people do you know who go, oh, yeah, I can't grow anything, I've got a brown thumb, and mm. they blame themselves. And, and look, yes, you know, one of the key things when you're growing plants is, you know, most plants are killed from too much water or not enough water. 
I mean, you, you're taking care of a living thing, so you've got to look after it. You don't just throw it in a pot and go, she'll be right. Um, <laughs> some people do and some I people used to. Do. Yeah, oh, look. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, you know, yeah, I'm guilty myself, cool. you know, it's yeah. like a you know, mechanic who has the worst car on the street is that, you know, I go home and I go, oh, yeah, that needs a water. I do see that you've actually improved and got a really schmick greenhouse. Well, well that's 12 that's months right. ago it was a bit, uh, a bit sus, but we will blame the drought for that period of time too. Oh, well, no, look, everything we grow, yeah. uh, every mix we do is we have a hot house, we have mm. a shade shed and um, we don't just do every new product we bring out is there's normally two years' worth of research in that product at least. Um, Coco Pro was, uh, that was based on one of our professional um one of our professional nursery mixes, which is still most popular with nurseries, and Coco Pro was based off of that mix. Um, so that was two years for the original mix for the nursery, and then another year for the uh, the mix in the bag. So, so okay. there's a lot of, and we do grow trials, and not only do we do grow trials, but we get our professional growers to do the trials with the mixes themselves. I noticed in a recent report um, in Queensland terms. We really are generally dragging the chain as far as the amount of organics that we're actually using uh, in, in the state. I think on a per head of population basis, South Australia leads the way at around about 722 kilos per, uh, per person per year. Now, they've been light years ahead with their organic strategy and their waste policies and other things. We're playing catch up at a million miles an hour now, but we're still at 221 kilograms per head as opposed to the Australian standard of Australian average at 298. So we're at least 30%, 40% off the mark there. Um, what what are the challenges, I guess, from in developing organics that we've got to try and do here in Queensland to get a greater take-up in the macro as opposed just the, our, what we use in the, in the potting mixes and stuff? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, it's something that's been talked about for a long time. I think Europe's probably... 30 years ahead of Australia. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, the other states uh, that have had the waste levy, Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia are excellent with what they do is they've had the levy so they can actually afford to put the infrastructure in and also one of the most important things, which is education. So it's educating the public on recycling and also making sure that not just keeping it separate but, you know, don't put it to landfill because landfill you end up with methane gases which will also impact the environment. So basically the more we can recycle, the better we are. But Queensland has not had until recently a waste levy. Mm. So for all recycling facilities is it's been very hard to invest when there's been... No waste levy. Mm, mm. Now, the other thing too is that what I find is with local government is uh, I know of some facilities here who have just spent a hell of a lot of money on building composting tunnels, state of the art. And what happens is you'll find, well, it's very hard for these companies to spend money when local government will then go on a contract and issue that contract at the cheapest price. I, I've been a great critic and I stand by it that um, the 
the walk doesn't match the talk as far as procurement goes and the worst um, purchases of secondary and recycled content is government itself. And just having a procurement policy doesn't create that pull through the market, does it? And, I, no. and um, I, yeah, we, I, there's, a, there's a good argument that we, uh, in the procurement, that we need to mandate the use of organics and other products because if we've got those, it's a natural fit. There's parks, there's, there's roadways, there's road versions. So it's an absolute logical fit that we can actually put that carbon structure back into the soil. That's exactly right. And uh, look, we're, there is a shortage of organics and there's not enough green organics in Australia to supply the need. Like you talk about parks and gardens, but we're supplying agriculture. So we're doing a lot now with uh, macadamia growers, avocado growers, um, tomatoes, ginger, um, you name it, we're putting organics back into the soil. You know, over the last, oh, you know, probably since even say, let's say the end of World War II is that farming went to chemical fertilisers because the farmer knows, okay, well, I'm buying this fertiliser. It's got 22% nitrogen, 5% uh, phosphorus, 12% potassium. They knew exactly what they were getting and it took effect immediately. While that was happening, a lot of organics weren't going back into the soil. So you find that... Without the organics, without the carbon in there, is the biology dies. The biology drops off and drops off. There's no food for the microbes in there. So the, once that biology drops off is, and because the microbes are the ones that are converting natural carbon like organics into uh, nutrients. And they're also helping the plants. They're strengthening their like immune system, so they're, they're not as prone to pest disease. Mm. And once that drops off, as we've seen recently with people we've dealt with, is that uh, one example is the ginger industry where they had big problems and still do with Phytophthora and Pythium, and that's from poor soil. That's, that's a, a very big word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah very, a very big word, but it's a very bad disease and it's airborne, waterborne, and the poorer your soil, the more prevalent it is. So right. we've seen a big increase in farmers who have gone from growing in the soil to growing in containers. So the potting mix we, we do, as I've said, it's fully pasteurised, uh, free of pests and disease. And we've seen in the uh, ginger industry from going from soil to containers is they had a like up from anywhere from 30 to 50% increase in yield. That's significant, isn't it, it is when you actually have a look? Because yeah. Australia has notoriously had very, very poor st structure in its soil. That's exactly right, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So I noticed here at the facility uh, the sugarcane mulch, that pretty fancy robotic equipment out there. I mean, uh, you're, you're using the, and you mentioned about using the cane trash in the feedstock of your potting mixes and your garden mixes. The sugarcane side, was that, did that come before the potting mixes or did they both come together? Or uh, Yeah, the sugarcane, um, that was here originally. So the, the Keith family who own this facility. Who were... Uh, Farmer of the Year last 18 months ago, wasn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, Matt Keith was, Matt was. Uh, Farmer of the Year. That's, mm. uh, yeah, 18 months, two years ago. Mm. So uh, then that was a big family effort. There's uh, this, I don't know, I don't even know if I've met all the family here, Rick. It's, <laughs> there's that many of them. But, <laughs> but no, they're a really good family and they're third generation. So Alec, who uh, unfortunately just recently passed away, he was the original founder and then we've had uh, Michael and David, the two sons who took over from them. 
and now we've got the next generation now. But so sugarcane came first and they started off, um, well, you've been here a few yeah. times and you've seen how big it is now. It was just a little shed that over they used the to, bit. over the back, that they used to, you know, do everything manually and now it's, they're bringing cane from New South Wales and Childers Bundaberg to this facility and and bagging that. So we've spent a lot of money on our processes and and as well as, you know, as, as I was talking to you before, as with biosecurity, you know, we have uh, weeds, uh, pests and that to deal with. So the machinery we have pulls out seeds. There's, well, no pests come onto site anyway, but when we're exporting to New South Wales, Victoria, we have to make sure we're free of um, weeds, seeds and, and And it's interesting, I noticed coronavirus, uh, everyone's gone back to uh, basics with their garden. I think I read somewhere Diggers Seeds uh, sold 100,000 packets of seed in March as compared 30,000 packets the previous year, which is absolutely staggering. I, I guess the the takeaway, and, I, and everybody does want to leave the planet in a far greater space or better space today than they uh, ended with it. What's the takeaway then with in in terms of both uh, from a community education point of view of putting material uh, in your bin at home uh, where it's going off the commercially, but more importantly also uh, supporting the Australian uh, manufacturing family-based businesses and other things in actually procuring that organic material. What's, I guess, the broader takeaway in the whole thing, Mark? Oh, look, I think, you know, for us dealing with uh, having to work with local governments, work with the public, for me it starts with the manufacturer. Recycling, there's some smart packaging out there and recycling I'm not even sure what should go in the right bin. There's that many different types of plastics. As <laughs> you and I both. I know. My friend, and I get in arguments with my wife all the time. Yeah, exactly right. So manufacturers to make packaging more recyclable, make it easier. Education is a big one. Is educating the public is that what you put in the bin is recycling is a circular economy. Mm-hmm. If you stuff it up in your bin, don't complain when it comes back and you've got something, contamination. So... Every household has to play their part. Yes. Um, it's up to local government to educate, make it easier because it is hard. It's, it's like you and I both have struggled. Mm. So if we're struggling, we've been in the industry for years, then, you know, what hope has the, the local household got? So make it easier, better education, manufacturers, just reduce packaging, uh, make it more recyclable. Uh Cancels is to local government is, you know, cheap got, is not cheap. No, that's right. And and look, put some put some procedures in some well different cancels. Some are better than others, but basically, it's policing what comes into the transfer station. Yes, make sure it's separated. Well, I was showing you that photo. I was at a, a facility recently, and a commercial person yeah. dropped off lumps of concrete and steel and everything That's else. Right. It really is that message: we have to educate. You know, if you want the organics and you're doing the right thing in your home composting, That's it is right. no different commercially. It's just exactly the scale right. and what we're actually producing with some smarts about it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And and that and that's right. I mean, it's if you wouldn't put it in your own home compost bin, don't put don't it in. put it in. 
Yeah, exactly. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for um, joining me today. And I think uh, for the listeners that are here, I'm going to have a look at that uh, tunnel composting facility because I think that's worth exploring. It really is uh, an interesting sort of uh, another step change in the game. But from Rocky Point, Mulching's point of view, you've got your class act. I mean, there's no doubt 70 hectares here and forklifts and trucks and bags going all over the place. So obviously the community uh, are doing plenty of growing of the veggie seedlings and potting mixes, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Reed.